Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Tonight we are in the Warrior Underground here on the campus of Wisconsin Lutheran College. It's kind of like a student union type thing. And we're here uh, because WLC is hosting The Gathering, um, which is a part... Sounds ominous. Which is a part of the, the Gathering, which is a part of the Point of Grace um, ministry, campus ministry program in Milwaukee, and so we have students here from Wisconsin Lutheran College, of course. Uh, I hear students from Marquette University, uh, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, and we're not sure about uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering because they may be on a type of spring break right now, so we don't know if we have students there. But we're here, they've invited us to do a podcast here, and we're very grateful um, that we're able to do it here on campus, all right? So... We're here with all four of us. Ben is here, Wade is here, Peter is here, I am here, but we also have three Johnston kids. Ziggy, say hi. Hi. Anna, say hi. Hi. Sophia? Hi. All right, thank you very much. Um, We are here going to talk about the first commandment and probably how it relates mostly to Christian freedom. And we could talk four or five hours on this, but we're gonna to try to get it down to under an hour, and we're hoping that we're gonna have some student participation, asking questions in the end. But before we get any further, Sophia, we need you to say the disclaimer for our podcast so we don't get sued. Can you speak into the mic? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or or our, or our employers. To be honest, most of the, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Thank you, Sophia, and we'll be back with our free for all. And we're back with the free-for-all where you wrestle with life's pressing questions and try to answer them once and for all. For listeners that have been around for a little while listening, you go all the way back to episode 58. And our free-for-all was uh, um, something that turned into uh, quite the affair, and we've had a lot of comments on it and uh, kind of stuck with us. It's one of our most downloaded, yeah, one of our most downloaded episodes, episode 58, if you're interested, probably because it was preaching and the, as a means of grace was the, was the main topic, or maybe it was because the uh, free-for-all was on animal fights. We think it's the animal fights. Mike was happy about that. So at any rate, we thought, well, we're going we're gonna to revive it because the, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, the premise is you pit two animals against each other, and then who's going to win? And so you get these animals from, you know, strange, uh, you know, that would never, would never necessarily meet in the wild, and, you know, what would happen? What were some of them that we had? The gorilla versus the um, we had a, a grizzly bear? a gorilla in a city pool against a shark. <laughs> That's right, a gorilla against a shark, yeah. Um, I think we, we ended up talking about whether or not a uh, gorilla could make a shiv out of a pine tree or yep. something like that. So anyway, we're gonna, we, there's a lot. We've got, we, we're, we have not exhausted this topic, um, much to uh, Mike's great pleasure. <laughs> so we're going to start off today. Um, well, first of all, we should just say we do not endorse animal fighting in this way. We're not, we're not actually putting these, we don't want to see this happen. We, it's a, it's a, an imaginary exercise, right? So 
just th- think about the wonder, the magnificence of these animals, and then put their strength against strength, and you know, I how would do they like come to out? See it happen, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and these are not these are not fights to the death. We don't want anyone to die. It's just two animals that are, have had a bad day in some sort of artificial environment, and so. Um, the other option I floated that they didn't want to go with is favorite thing that gives us cancer. And uh, <laughs> they, they thought that might not be the best one. But um, I think there could be some fun with that. So we have uh, two rounds of the, the free-for-all. Mike did not want to do the free-for-all at all and then wanted to limit our time. I think we're supposed to be done with it now. But uh, I think what we'll do is we'll throw out the first round and then kind of maybe get a vote from the audience of who they would... Uh, not bet on gambling-wise, but who they think would win. And uh, I know sometimes we like to pick the setting. I don't know that the setting really matters for this one, the terrain. Um, but the first one we had was a honey badger versus three monkeys with clubs. Um, and the reason we went with the monkeys is Ben has pointed out in the past that the opposable thumb really is a game changer when it comes to animal fights. Um, to be fair, we'll give the honey badger a club as well, um, but I don't think it will be as helpful to it. So why don't we open up with honey badger versus three monkeys with clubs. Um, how many have the honey badger? Not many. The three monkeys with clubs? Oh, well, this is going the opposite way of okay. what I think. Uh, I guess I'll throw it. We should probably ask first, does anybody know what a honey badger is? The people that raised their hand for the honey badger, right. they, they said they know what and, it is. And the rest of the people don't know, otherwise they would have raised their hand. So, Ben, can you enlighten us a little bit? Well, I didn't say, I don't know how to describe I think, it. It's like I think a, it's a football player, right? Yeah, a long time ago. Um, it's, I don't know, it's like a, an African, lives in the uh, Arabian Peninsula, Africa, India. It's be closest to like a... A wolverine, an American wolverine. Um, In that case, it would probably, uh, if it were a wolverine, it'd probably fight hard for three quarters and then roll over in a bowl game, huh? All right. I I have seen video of a honey badger fight off three lions, just to be clear. Um, It doesn't look like it should be possible. They're, They're small, but they are vicious. So... Um, wait, who do you have then? I, one of my, I was just teaching about the Stoics the other day, and uh, one of the things the Stoics say is, right, you can only control yourself, and so you set your life principles, and then you live according to them, and your reputation, all that, you can't control. And one of my life principles is never bet against honey badger. Um, so I'm going honey badger. I'm all in for honey badger. So you don't think that the, uh, that the clubs change anything there then, huh? I mean, they can surround them. They have I the think reach. I it just angers the honey badger. <laughs> ben, uh, what kind of what kind of monkeys? It's Wade's question. He just said monkey. Um, I don't know a lot of monkeys. I say uh, is bonobos. Bonobos. Bonobo? Is that a monkey? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's technically a monkey. But... Oh, so these are monkeys the same size as a right? Not but not like not gorillas. like orangutans. No. Orangutans are, are apes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Apes are not monkeys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, what do you guys got? We're gonna have to get to the next one. Real I think you've quick. triggered Sophia. Um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the uh, with the uh, monkeys simply because of the the reach. Like they gotta be they gotta be strategic. And if the and if the hun- if the honey badger gets a you know gets one or two of them, it's it's over. 
because they gotta they have to use their numbers, but they got the reach, they got the club. All right, Ziggy, let's see if I he, raised we the just right. Said, you... He said that the honey badger is a club too. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay. So he, so he could would you, have. Some... Could you please give a different answer then? <laughs> I'm sticking with my answer. What do you got, Ziggy? I'm gonna say the monkeys on this one because they just gotta doink the honey badger on the head a couple times and then they think they got it. And Dr. Berg. I'm not participating. <laughs> and Sophie and Anna, what do you got? Um, I don't know. You gotta say it into the mic, that's how it works. I don't know. You don't know? Anna, you got any feeling on this? Um, no. Um, I say the monkeys because they're crazy, so they just kind of like swing it around and then can hit it. Well, yeah, except they might like just, they're crazy, they might just run off. Or they might hit each other. Right? That could happen. No, yeah. have you ever think it's like a Have you ever seen a monkey when it's giving anything? They just swing it around. All right, we're going to the next one. <laughs> they gotta hit eventually. Okay, this one I uh, I kind of like this one because it seems like two animals that I don't really know how they could hurt each other. Ostrich versus llama. Ooh. Ostrich versus llama. All right, out there, how many have ostrich? How many That's a llama? Lot of hands. Okay, I got it. Ooh. Theory. Why are we going ostrich on this one? Is it the speed? Yeah, see, and that's what I'm wondering if it, what it can do damage with with the bill. Uh, why don't we kind of poll everybody really quick? Uh, Peter, what do you got? I'm gonna go with the ostrich. Um, my parents had they had a house next door. They were like across this farm. There was this uh, exotic pets um, farm they had. And they had an emu, which is kind of like an ostrich, and it got out one night, and I was standing out, you know, out back, talking on the phone on the patio, and all of a sudden this emu comes running across, and it was ferocious. I ran inside, you know, screamed like a little girl, called the sheriff. The sheriff thought I was what do you mean drunk. It was ferocious. What it did was it bad. do that was ferocious? It was, exactly. it ran, it was dark, and it came running it up. Ran? It was, oh yeah. In that case, fast. preschoolers Man, are ferocious. It came. <laughs> Recess. It's Wait, like murder fest. You, you, can, you can talk big sitting up here on the stage, I tell you. How you old go were face you? to face with an, yeah. Oh, I was in my 20s. Oh. <laughs> okay. I thought maybe I thought maybe you were like seven or something. <laughs> I, I did see a I did see a video of a of a llama getting into a, a taxi cab recently. You know, so I guess they could get a, get away maybe. <laughs> All right, Ziggy, what do you got? Well, it depends on if the ostrich would want to hurt the llama because that's the whole point of a fight. Llama? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, he said Wade, ostr- said Wade said the fight isn't to the death, but it's to the death. <laughs> Well, he said ostriches are like emus, and emus defeated Australia in a war, so, I mean... Oh, yeah, the great, uh, the great emu war. Are you making stuff up? No, it's a real no, thing. No, it's a real thing. Look this up. is like your yes. thing with the, the China Sparrows war. That's no. real, too? No, the emus were taking the farmer's crops, and so Australia went after the emus and lost. Peter, are you Googling this? Yeah, I'm looking it up. I, I'm very skeptical. So it's, you got emus? Or is it like the 1920s? Google, Google gave it to me right away. I put emu war, Australia. I got the A, and it said Australia is the first. It's, it's, All right. it's, it's true. See, it's already exactly. 730. All right, that's great. Um, and, There's uh, a Wikipedia and entry And Sophie, what do you got? Ostrich or llama? Ostrich. Ostrich? And Anna? Um, I say ostrich. And why do you guys say ostrich? Well, honestly, it could just run off and then surprise attack the llama. <laughs> so it's coming back to speed? Yeah. All right, Ben, what do you got? Okay, this Wikipedia page for the emu war, it, there's actually, it says the war, and then it has first attempt, second attempt. This was a real thing. I mean, oh, this yeah, was, and the emus won. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got here, Ben? They even have an aftermath section. 
I want to talk about the emu war. <laughs> um, I, I guess I'd take the ostrich. Um, I watched a couple videos in preparation for this segment of two llamas fighting, and it was... They, they weren't vicious at all. And then I watched a video called uh, Three Cheetahs and an Ostrich Fight to the Death, and I thought that would be really interesting, but the cheetahs just killed the ostrich. It wasn't like a... It wasn't like an actual fight to the death, so... But I still take the ostrich. And, uh, Michael. All right, great. I'm gonna... Don't, li- don't llamas spit? I suppose probably. is that a thing they do? Well, you want to get spat on in a fight? That would be very disappointing. <laughs> I don't see how that's gonna help them unless they have, like, a communicable... If we were gonna fight and I spat on you... Unless they, they have, like, spit that will blind the ostrich in some way. I don't know right. how they would do that, but... All right, well, I think Mike said we only have 10 minutes left on this, so why don't we, uh, I've got three goats versus five raccoons, but, uh, why don't we, why don't we get some suggestions from the audience, two animals, and if it's a bad, if they're bad, if it's bad choices, we'll just not do it. Yeah, then it's their fault, yeah. Anybody got an animal fight? A chlamydia with a koala. Chlamydia with a koala? I think chlamydia beats everything. Honestly. <laughs> You've been hanging out with Henkel. This is uh, we've got we've got uh, infectious disease students. I think everything uh, everything yeah loses that one. Um, all right, Mike's right, looking Henkel, like there he's, are no winners he's there. pretty disgusted with us. We uh, probably should make our way to the main topic. We are recording. All right, great. All right, well, our main topic for today is the first commandment as it relates to um, kind of what we do with the podcast. The podcast is entitled Let the Bird Fly, and that is a reference to a Luther hymn and then a quote from uh, a theologian who I appreciate, and the idea being of uh, Christian freedom and then vocation, that we are set free, um, but then we are now also set free for our neighbor. And we're going to be talking first commandment, which in uh, Lutheranism, Luther says all the other commandments relate to and flow from the first commandment. And we hear a commandment and we immediately go to law, but the first commandment will also be unique because the only way you can keep the first commandment is through, anybody want to guess? Through faith, right? To fear, love, and trust in God above all things is something that can only be kept through faith. Uh, we think of the second table of the law, we usually look at that and we think we can, you know, do our best to keep certain aspects of that. Maybe you didn't murder today and that's fantastic. Um, try to keep that up. But Jesus takes that even further and he'll take that to the heart and say, if you get even so much as angry with your brother, um, the sixth commandment with committing adultery, Jesus takes that further and say, says, uh, if you even lust. But the first commandment will be unique Um, Because for the Christian, the New Testament Christian, it reorients the entire Christian life as a life of faith, which means you are now set free from the following commandments, 
um, for your neighbor, and those commandments become not the measure according to which you can establish your standing with God. It's not keeping points. It's not a ladder. But rather they become the guide for or the, um, a reminder of what is instead helpful for your neighbor. And so the first note, we actually uh, put together an outline for this, which is about the most organized we've ever been. So um, the first part relates to kind of the first commandment and preaching. Uh, when you go to church, what are you expecting to hear? What are you looking for? What's your biggest need? I, I think if we were to take a survey, maybe in this room it might be a little bit better because you guys have been told to at least say the right things um, to the right people. But a lot of people, if you were to ask them, what are they looking for, what do they need in preaching, I don't know that the answer that they would give would be in line with what the first commandment reminds us that it needs to be. If we are to, to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, we need to be turned outside of ourselves. Um, we need to be freed from ourselves, not just from our sin, but from this desire to look to ourselves to achieve our standing with God, to find forgiveness of sins in some give or take kind of way, um, to uh, in ourselves somehow find something that will make us worthy in God's sight. And so the first commandment attacks then idolatry, and this was always one of the things, uh, I was always scared to ask my catechism students, what are some idols? because they would always come up with like the same things of, you know, not going to church. Um, money, money. Money, LeBron James. Um, and uh, we forget that much of the time, our, the, the chief idol in our lives is ourselves. Um, when we begin to think the universe result revolves around us, and we begin, when we begin to think that we somehow within us have the potential um, to give our life the fulfillment, the meaning, the purpose, to give ourselves the identity that only God himself can give. So the, the first thought is kind of the first commandment as liberation from ourselves. Um, I'll throw that out to the rest of you guys. Yeah, and that should sound odd. Um, you should say, wait a second, we have the law and the gospel, and we're talking about the law here. How can it be you know, liberating ourselves? How can it be freeing? That's the work of the gospel. But I think it's understanding that the law does what it, what it is supposed to do for the hearer, right? So if, you're, um, if you are under the law, it is condemning, and it's, uh, it's a very heavy weight to bear, right? But um, God's law is also good, right? We can say that with the psalmist, and it's uh, not, uh, not something that we then, you know, cower from. It doesn't, it doesn't come back and fly at us. In fact, Mike's really good at this, and hopefully he'll chime in here on this, but it frees us to, to live for our neighbors, right? In what's the word you use, Mike? Vocation. So in that way, we, we see that God's working through us, through us, the masks of God that Mike talks about sometimes. Um, yeah, and that's all I have to say. Yeah, I think. Hey, hey, hey. Go ahead, Ben. You get to participate now. So you just you're just gonna pick and choose when you participate. <laughs> yes. Okay. You were you got a YouTube video you were watching for this or? No, oh, I just okay. he's, he's on the emo emu <laughs> <laughs> I just think you shouldn't be able to just jump in when you think it's important. I can turn your mic off, you know. <laughs> what? I can turn your mic off, you know. All right. Go ahead. <clears throat> Every, every time you break any commandment, you're also breaking the first because finally what you're saying is, God, you didn't, 
you didn't give me enough. So if I steal, what I'm saying is God didn't give me enough to survive or to be satisfied or to flourish. I'm a better God than God, right? So every time you break a commandment, you're also breaking the first, which makes, of course, this all impossible for us, for us to, to keep. And, and the idol, finally, as Wade alluded to, is finally ourselves. You know, when you think about the, the stone idols, maybe that um, Moses is has in mind when he's speaking uh, or he's reading these Ten Commandments and taking them from Sinai to the people. Um, it's not like certainly those, those stone idols would have been worshipped as gods and people would have said, there is my God. They would point to it, there's my God. But most, I think, would understand that's the image of my God. Like, they're not necessarily equating always the stone with their God. That's the image of my God, and it's down here so I can say this is my God. So when we make an idol, it's finally about ourselves, but whatever we put above God becomes the image of our God, which is finally ourselves. So you can say, what is this thing that I put above God? And so that's where the, the answers in catechism class, you know, th there's some steps there, but they're correct, money or whatever it is. Usually um, it's our own reputation or whatever. I look at that and I say, that's, that's who I am. I'm God and that it almost equates that idol with me. It becomes so important in my life. And the tragedy of all of it is that we don't have to play God. You don't want to be God. That's a very difficult job, right? And if you're God and you're in control of your own destiny and your life is not that, Sundays off though. Yeah. If your life is not that <laughs> Get it the great, seventh day, day rest, Sabbath. If your life Genesis. is not that great, you have nobody to blame but yourself. And so when you're turned inward to yourself as God, even if you're turned outward to an image that becomes so powerful it is a reflection of you, um, you're not gonna find a whole lot of joy and, and hope being curved inward. And so that's, I think, when, we, when God says, I'm your God, trust me, this is going to be good for you. This is where you're going to be free. You're going to be free from all of these laws because your value is not going to be found in whether you're successful or whether you didn't murder anybody this week or whatever kind of thing makes you, makes you feel pious. And, and isn't this the problem that we have going on in the world right now? We're tripping over each other to be more righteous than the next person. We're always, it doesn't, we, don't, we don't care what the cause is, I'm convinced. As long as I have a cause that makes me feel righteous more than you, and it's a trap. We're playing God and we're going to be disappointed. So when God is God and we're not God, that ends up being very good for us because we're free from this self-justification, the self-righteousness being tied to these things. And uh, the irony of it all is if you play God, you become enslaved to your own law or God's law or somebody else's law in your attempt to be righteous. Yeah, and I think that's an important part of understanding a Lutheran approach to the Ten Commandments, too, is one of the interesting things of, about Luther's approach to the Decalogue, to the Ten Commandments, is one of the first things he's going to stress is that we're free from them. According to the new man, through faith, by our baptism, we are now free from the commandments as we are free from the law. Now, some people hear that 
and they immediately get nervous that people are going to sin. Well, first of all, people are going to sin either way. You've probably figured that out by now. Um, but secondly, that doesn't mean we're now free from concern for others. We're actually free from our neighbor. Uh, work righteousness, looking to the law for my own salvation or for my own sanctification points or for a desire to have more righteousness than someone else, who, who does the law become about, become about serving then? It becomes about serving myself. It's for me. Um, so even when I help my neighbor, well, why am I going to help my neighbor? Because I'm going to get something out of it. I'm going to be holier. I'm going to be more righteous. And so what the first commandment is going to remind us of is that to fear, love, and trust in God above all things is to recognize that all things are from God, which includes your salvation. And so now we look at the commandments that follow as something to remind us of what actually is pleasing to God and helpful to our neighbor. And, uh, and I think that's very important for the Christian to remember as we so easily fall into thinking of we somehow will measure up or um, become closer to God uh, through the commandments, which is absolutely not the case. That happens only through the gospel, and then I live for my neighbor um, in ways that are in line with the commandments. Something to, to keep in mind with that then as we get to the first commandment and Christian freedom, we sometimes look at the commandments too, and maybe you remember when you were younger, if you were learning the commandments, it's all the stuff God won't let us do. You shall not. You right? shall yeah, not. Yeah, this is you all the fun not. you don't get to have. Um, and we forget that the commandments are gift to us as well for our own good, and they are promise. When God says, you shall have no other gods before me, um, he doesn't simply mean, hey, don't do this. He means, I'm your God. And he says, I'm a, a jealous God. I'm jealous for you. And um, I don't know what class I was talking about this in today, but one of my classes. And uh, we sometimes hear jealous, and, and that doesn't have a good connotation in English. Um, if you were to say you have a jealous boyfriend or a jealous girlfriend, you're not giving them a compliment. You know, they're probably like checking your text messages on your phone to <clears throat> see who you're talking to or, you know, um, they don't want to let you get too far away from them for fear they'll lose you. Well, that jealousy is really rooted in an insecurity in the other person, isn't it? Or maybe you've had kind of the jealous friend who gets nervous when you make other friends because they're afraid, right, a new friend in the circle might mean that they lose their friend. Well, that's an insecurity in the person. And the, the jealousy God has here is, is kind of like the jealousy that parents have for their children, um, where they want what is best for their children. I mean, even then when they discipline their children, as Hebrews reminds us, the Lord disciplines those that he loves. So this is something that he has for our own good. And when we, when we fail to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, what we do is we let the gifts enslave us um, rather than enjoying the gifts. The, uh, the things that God gives to be for us, um, instead we become for them. And so this is how you ruin your marriage. God gives you the gift of a spouse and you turn your spouse into an idol and then you're inevitably disappointed when they haven't made your life perfectly fulfilled and everything you dreamed it would be. Um, or you, whatever degree you're going to get next or whatever trip you're gonna go on. You know, maybe you're, you're gonna go to Europe and this is gonna be the best trip of your life and you're gonna do that photo that people do or like at the beach where they got their arms out like they're I don't know what they do, but um, 
you know, it, uh, and then you ruin that trip because you've just made that, that trip something you're serving instead of something that's serving you. And so we lose the joy of our vocation. We lose the joy of um, our marriage or our relationships, our friendships, our jobs, um, our cars, our homes, you pick it, um, our educations. And we become then simply uh, commodities. We become instruments for the gifts rather than the gifts being instruments for us and for the service of our neighbor. And so um, this, this corruption in us Right, and, and keep in mind when we talk about original sin, um, and the first commandment's really getting at original sin because this is the condition that keeps us from fear, loving, and trusting in God above all things. That's not something that got added to us after the fall as if this got put in. You know, here's another dash of original sin now, got mixed in. It's rather something we've lost. It's a lack of original righteousness. Well, that, um, that lack of is where we turn gifts into idols thinking it will fill what's lacking, right? Wait, it will gifts. make me more righteous, it will make me better, um, it will make me validated, any of those things. No, I lost. I was going to say gifts are idols, I thought it was... Gifts can become idols easily. I would GIFs, say, yeah. right? Isn't it? GIFs? GIFs? Is that how you say it? Oh, I, I thought it was gifts. Oh. I thought, that, I, I thought that's what you are talking about. Memes and that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh, did I interrupt you? I'm sorry. No, I forgot what no, I was saying. I think, that, I think that gifts can become idols. Um, of course, all, all things are gift from God, and we know that, um, what were we at, Christian freedom, right? That the law frees us, in a way, or that God frees us? Who frees us? Frees us from the law? From the law, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, now, you, are you trying to get me to talk again? I was, yeah. See, you jumped in with some stupid joke. <clears throat> Well, you wouldn't let me get in, so... Lost my train yeah. of thought. You'd never do that way. No, I don't interrupt. I think it was up to Mike anyway. We're going to talk about free-to-serve neighbors yeah. now, so... All right, I'll jump in then. Um, the difference between God's gift um, to me and something that I make into an idol has got to be grounded in the fact that I have my righteousness from Jesus Christ, right? The only way that I can have true freedom is that I don't have this unbearable need to justify myself before God or to justify myself before other people. So my, my value as a human being cannot be in um, how I live a life because then uh, it's, 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 a, it's an impossible thing because then my righteousness becomes righteous for the sake of being righteous, my virtue for the sake of virtue, my sanctification for the sake of sanctification, then it's ruined, then it's not sanctification anymore, then it's not love anymore. So I need to find my justification in Christ, my value in Christ. I need to be, I need him to be my God to the point where he is going to beat the piety out of me. Like he's literally going to come with his law. And if it means smacking me on the back of head, my head with a disease, with a huge failure to get me to wake up, he's going to do that. He's finally going to tell me in uh, not any uncertain terms that you're nothing. And that's where you finally hit rock bottom and that's where freedom begins. And so my value then can never be found, will never be found in this world. It can only be found at the cross. From there, I'm free, and then what God gives me is truly free as well, because it is no longer it no longer has a purpose um, other than I get to enjoy it. I get to enjoy it, 
and uh, you were kind of talking about this weight about how you, if you make it the idol, like I have to, I have to put all of my my joy and my value in this one thing or this one event. You can never really enjoy it. I think it was John Stuart Mill said that we never think about being happy in the moment. We always think about being happy. We used to be happy, or we were happy then. And and that's just fine because if you ever stop and say. Um, am I happy right now? Like tomorrow I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be happy. It's not going to happen. Happiness just happens. And that comes from here is the gift. Just enjoy it. Don't kill it by trying to give it another purpose. And then in my life now that I'm free, I can actually use these gifts as tools. They aren't idols anymore. I'm not, um, I'm not, um, my own idol. I have my own purpose, and that's the purpose called love. Now, this is where it gets tricky a little bit because you may say, "Well, love is something that isn't for that that isn't about you. It's about somebody else, and isn't that law?" And yes, it is the law, but it's grounded in the freedom of the gospel. For instance, if if you have a friend who is a heroin addict, and you go up to him and you say, I have, I have "You one. should stop." His name is a. His name's Peter. <laughs> you should stop. So, Peter, you should stop doing heroin, we're telling you. And then maybe we, Not get, that Peter. we get all together with this other Peter and we say, stop doing heroin. And that other Peter says to us, it's my body, it's my freedom, it's my choice. We instinctively understand that's not freedom, it's the worst kind of slavery. So if I'm not freed from sin, and then I... And I say, this is my choice for myself. This is my free choice. We say, no, you're addicted to sin. It's not really true freedom. And so to, be, to have, first of all, being that false piety beaten out of me so that I have nowhere to go but God, his righteousness given to me through Jesus Christ makes me something different. And I'm already turned outward. I'm turned outward to my God because I tried turning inward uh, to find my God and then didn't work very well. And now I'm turned out with to my neighbor as well. And so I'm free to be for, as you put it. And so my freedom then is to get lost in, 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 my, in my flourishing, in my vocation. And that's where we get a true sense of happiness. Um, it's a good day when you don't think, am I happy or not? It's a good day when you look at the clock on the wall and you don't say, holy crap, it's nine o'clock, I thought it was lunchtime. But actually you're like, it's nine o'clock and I haven't got as much as I wanted to get done today already. When time flies by because you're lost, you're lost in the love of neighbor, you're lost in your craft. And how do you get lost? When you don't make it an idol. When you have it, you have it as gift. And so time is a gift, it's not a burden. So money is a gift. It's not a burden. Um, my neighbors, whatever they may be in my family, my spouse, my children, they are Peter. a gift. They are not a burden. Wade is a burden. <laughs> <laughs> Let me back up. A, there's a point we've, I know we've made on the podcast before, but as you're talking about this false piety that we create, one of the things that I... I I'm constantly telling my kids, and I've got five of them, so I have plenty to yell at. I tell them, you know, 
you're telling me how bad your sister is. The first four are all girls, so it's always sisters that are, that are doing, the, doing the telling. Tell me how bad your sister is, and you're, you're comparing yourself to them, and you feel pretty good about yourself. But this is, this is just a really easy way to make yourself feel better um, because you can say, look at how terrible she was. She did this thing, but you don't look back then and say how terrible you are by a more objective standard. So um, we do this in our lives constantly, and this false piety, I think, springs from this. We say, well... I'm not so bad. Wade was talking about, I didn't murder anyone today. That's good. Keep doing that. But, you mean, we, the, I mean, Scripture brings us right down to it, right? It makes it pretty clear. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So did you murder today? I'm willing to bet you all did, right? I mean, in that sense. So that's what has to, the law has to keep hammering us and pounding us back into submission. We just, we so desperately want to feel good about ourselves for our own sake, which turns it into the idol, as we're talking about, and turns it into, you know, the false God. But that's our own work. That's man-made or human-made, you know, made by our own hands. Um, when our piety comes from God through the gospel, that's, that's real piety, right? And that's where we then are turned out to one another to, um, to find that God really did create a wonderful creation for us to, uh, to live within and to work within. So, that's Yeah, and I think we can also turn, uh, we talked about turning ourselves into a commodity, a thing, or turning other things that are gifts into something else that also changes the way I look at you. So instead of, instead of my neighbor being an opportunity for me for my own spiritual growth or my own good works... I've treated another human being as I've abused them, I've misused them, I've treated them as a commodity, I've treated them as a stepping stone to my own piety. So uh, the example I use is if I, if I go before my students and say, listen, I'm a professor here so I can do my research, whatever it is. And, um, but they don't pay people just to do research uh, uh, very, very often. And so I gotta have a salary here and I gotta teach you. You, you students here are just, you bother me. You are just, um, he does say that I do time. say this, you <laughs> bother me. And you, you are, I'm using my students so that I can do something else. I've misused them and I haven't given them the value that they deserve um, because I've made a different idol, my career or my research or whatever it is, instead of looking to my neighbor in love and in freedom, which is what God always intended us to be. So he may, in that situation, um, for my own good, make me a huge failure as an academic and be forced into, now I'm going to throw myself into teaching. And that's where I may actually find even more joy that I never knew was possible. Um, now, I don't do research, and I'm barely an academic, so I don't have that problem. But you get what I'm saying here, where I don't use somebody else for my own gain, but I'm literally lost in the love of neighbor. I'm lost in my craft, whatever job that may be. But I can't do that if I don't have things ordered right. God is God, not me. And he's going to make that very clear, and I'm glad he does even in my suffering especially so when he hides in suffering. Um, the gifts that I have been given are to be enjoyed, not to be made idols, and then they are to be used as tools in love. And so if you have ordered everything right, um, which is really, I think, about the first commandment, ordering things right for us, 
um, you too find gospel freedom and joy. I was just going to say, uh, <clears throat> makes me think of something that Wade, I'm sorry, Reverend Dr. Johnston, um, he's leading the Bible study series at, at the church I attend right now. And um, he had said something a couple weeks ago about the, or maybe it was this last week, about the Desert Fathers. And um, in a different way, not, not using other people to serve them, but turning to themselves for their own practice of piety for the sake of piety and almost try to turn that into an idol. They'd isolate themselves for everybody so they could stay away from sin. I don't know if you want to expand on that a little, but um, just, you know, they found out that, <laughs> that 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 can be an idol too, to, to focus so hard on your own, you know, building up your own sanctification bank um, and, and that sin still still is there even even if you remove yourself from the world. When we find that, I mean, there's so many ways that we try to remove, you know, sanctify ourselves, right? Feel good about ourselves. And uh, yet there's only one way <laughs> that it actually works. Right? It keeps kind of coming back. So I'm sorry, I jumped in the way. Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, no, the, the Desert Fathers were just early monks who went out to the wilderness in Egypt and Syria and... Most of them thought they're going to flee sin, especially as you had the church was growing and more sinners joining. And then you read their sayings, and most of them are about how they realized sin followed them because it was within them, right? And this is why also God has to turn us outside of ourselves is you thinking you're going to beat it, you thinking you're going to, you know, you guys have enough, you're, most of your life is ahead of you, right? So... And uh, just statistically, that's not the case for me. And, you know, you guys are probably a little longer than me. But um, you, can, you can think, well, I'm going to beat this sin or that sin. And what, what happens is you, you might become less tempted to one sin with time. I, uh, I, quite frankly, just don't have the energy for some of the sins you're tempted to anymore. Um, and so I just begrudge you those temptations. <clears throat> um, and so, you know, we can talk about the sins of youth, you know, tend to be more energetic and the sins of old age tend to be envious or um, miserly or, or begrudging others uh, their youth. And so it can be somewhat easy uh, in the front half of life to think, yeah, I'm going to beat it. I'm going to keep trying and eventually I'm going to get past that sin and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really be a better person. And that doesn't mean that you can't work on things and improve at some things. Um, I've, I wholly believe in like a virtue ethic type of thing of where you work on something hard enough and you can get better at certain things. But not when it comes to living perfectly as a child of God. The sins just change. You beat one and another will come. And that's where I think sometimes um, addicts, to go back to that il illustration, are almost a step ahead of us in that, you know, what's usually the first step in an addiction program is to admit that you're powerless over your addiction. And that's really what the first commandment is trying to do with us as well, is to get us to realize that, that the power is not going to be in us to beat that. And if we do beat that certain sin, what's the temptation that comes right away is pride and self-righteousness. And that's why some of us, um, when we have beat one sin, we no longer tempt it. We're, we're harder on that sin and other people than, than we were before because we think now we can... Right, why can't they just get over it like I did? But I think just two things with the first commandment, and then I'll, I'll stop. But there's a great uh, David Foster Wallace quote. If anybody here has had ethics, you have to watch his commencement speech in there. 
And he says, everybody worships something. The question is, what are you going to worship? And he's not necessarily advocating for the Christian God there. But he says, you have to be careful because what you worship can eat you alive. And God recognizes that as well. Um, what e even things that seem to be rather harmless idols, um, no, no one is truly godless or without a god. Um, they can eat you alive. It's also one of the reasons that some of the most... Uh, religious people I know are atheists, right? They're, some of my friends who are most concerned about my religious beliefs are atheists, right? They, and they can get very worked up about this figment of my imagination that I, that I am so concerned with. Um, and so the first commandment is also meant to free us from the danger of, and in the ancient world this was much more obvious. When you have Molech, for instance, and you're supposed to wrap your child up and sacrifice him to Molech, throw him into the fire, you go, whoa, <clears throat> that costs a lot. Um, but I've counseled enough people, I've, I've had enough people in my office as a pastor um, who can tell you how much worshiping the wrong thing can cost them a lot, whether it was their job they lost, their marriage that fell apart, their child who um, the relationship has become strained with, uh, God is really trying to free us from the damage that idolatry will do to us, and especially when we are looking within ourselves for it. And then I think it's important to remember how the Ten Commandments are prefaced in it, the statement that comes at the beginning of the First Commandment. And, and you have to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Israel. And, and this is, I mean, a backwards nation, uh, it's not a people that even has a land yet. Uh, they don't have, it's not like people are like, man, I wish we could imitate Israel-like culture. There's not the sophistication of, you know, um, they're, they're not known for anything except being really bad at directions, right? <clears throat> and, uh, and complaining and grumbling. And, and so we, we need to ask ourselves sometimes when we hear at the beginning uh, in Exodus 20, he says, I am the Lord your God, and Lord, they're all capital letters. He is uh, Yahweh, he's Savior God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I think anytime we're considering the commandments, and especially the first commandment, maybe we should make sure to hear that first. Um, we were kind of like Israel. Um, Paul says to the Corinthians, you know, if you read the first four chapters, how many of you were, you know, famous? How many of you were the most wise? How many of you were the best at this? And yet God chose us, and God chose that which is foolish to, to shame the wise. And, uh, and think of your baptism, right? So I am the Lord your God, he says. And you may, you may feel like there's no way he should be the Lord your God to you. When you're honest with yourself, right, you don't deserve him. I don't deserve him. And yet he begins with that. I am the Lord, your God. I am the Savior. And what have I done? Better than bringing us out of Egypt and out of slavery, he's freed us from slavery to ourselves. And that's what the first commandment reminds us. And in essence, it says, don't go back into slavery. Don't go back into building ziggurats like the religions around you who think right, they have to build this structure that will help them climb to heaven. Don't go back to uh, stupid sacrifices I don't even want, like with Molech. Or, um, don't go back to thinking, you have to establish your relationship with me. 
I already established my relationship with you. And this is why uh, I just love infant baptism. And we can get into a baptism discussion a different day. But what did you do if you were baptized as an infant? Did you ask for baptism? Did you walk up to the font? You maybe even slept through it. Uh, my favorite was when they fought, right? When you kind of <laughs> scream and cry and mom and dad would say, Pastor, I'm so sorry that they cried. And I'd say, oh, I love it. The old Adam's being drowned, right? They should be crying. But, uh, but you came and you were a completely object of grace. And God chose you. And however many years later it is for you, 41 years for me, 18, 19, 22, I don't care, however many for you, Imagine if you compiled a list of everything that you've done that, that by all accounts should have messed that up, that he is the Lord your God. And that baptism is as good as the day that water got poured on you. And he says, I am the Lord your God and I'm the one who is jealous for you. Fear, love, and trust in me above all things. I chose you first. I delivered you. And uh, when we think of it that way, imagine how foolish it would be at that point to be like, but what? What can I do to help out? Um, his love is not the thing that's in question. His love is absolute. Um, it's if it sinks into us, and that's what the trust is, and that's why this commandment is ultimately uh, fulfilled by faith. And then we'll get to the second. Why is his name so important? Well, his, his name is what he does. He saves. Why is the Sabbath so important? Um, because this is where we hear the word that we have to hear again and again. I am the the Lord your God, and we live in a day and an age where everybody and their mother is looking for an identity. And we find it in brands. I'm an Apple person. I'm a, what's the other one? Android. Uh, Android person. Or, you know, um, I have to wear Fat Man Wrangler jeans so I can't do the fashion things. But, you know, like, uh, you know, leave. I don't know what the fashion is. But, but, you know, I'm all these things, and you're looking for the identity. And God frees you from that and says, you are whatever the name is my baptized child, and now go enjoy yourself. And you know what? Your neighbor might, maybe he could use a little help too. And you don't got to help him to get to heaven because that ain't helping him, that's helping you. Uh, you. You simply get to help your neighbor. You get to live for your neighbor. And you know what? I'm going to put you in a vocation where you get to use your gifts to get even more gifts and to bring gifts to your neighbor. So I think... It's helpful to keep that in mind with the first commandment, and that's what frames everything that comes after, because you're not a murderer. You're a forgiven child of God. You're not a liar. You're a forgiven child of God. You're not an adulterer. You're not a coveter. You're a forgiven child of God, and so now you, you live as that, and there's um, a theologian who uh, I appreciate, and the let the bird fly comes from that even, and he said, you know, sanctification is getting used to your justification. Um, you are made new, you're born again, and then how did you learn to walk as a child? I mean, were you just like a year and a half? I don't know, how old do kids learn to walk yet? I can't remember. Like about a year. a year, yeah. Okay, so. Wade only has five kids, so please I think I was him. six. Um, <laughs> but, you know, did you just suddenly, one day you just popped up and you started like crip walking around? You know, no, you... You stumbled, you were like a drunkard, you sometimes fell, you were sometimes two steps forward and then one, and you had to lean on others. And that's the Christian life too. You come to faith and then you learn to live in Christ, but you are in Christ. You don't do that to be in Christ. 
you are in Christ. You don't do that so God loves you. You do that because God loves you. And then you fear, love, and trust in him above all things as you're able to walk, to venture things, to flourish because of that. And I'll stop. When, when Moses comes down. me that look like down. I talked for too long. Usually when I preach chapel, this is about three minutes in. <laughs> when Moses came down um, uh, Mount Sinai, he addressed people who had been given freedom and were not doing very well in freedom. In fact, what's one of the first things they collectively say? Can we go back? Can we go back? Um, they, they just can't handle freedom. In a similar way, we've been given freedom. We've gone through the Red Sea, not with Moses, but through um, the waters of baptism with Christ. We're baptized not into Moses, but into Christ. And when Moses comes down, he sees that they have made a false image of him. And I think at least some of them thought that they were worshiping Yahweh, the true God. And that they gave God an image, and the best they could come up with is a cow. But that made sense to them. Probably from Wisconsin. Because <laughs> they had seen Egyptian gods for 400 years and the animal kind of uh, spirit sort of thing going on. They said, this is what we want God to be like. We're going to image God in what we know, in our image rather than the other way around. And so in one of my favorite scenes, Moses has them, grinds up the gold and makes them drink it. There's your God. And he says, no graven images. It's the first commandment, you idiots. And then a little bit later, he says, um, I'm sick of you grumbling. I'm going to send snakes and I'm going to bite you. And to be saved, I want you to make a graven image. <laughs> well, what's the... The reason is God says, I image me. I am God. And the last thing you would think about to save you from snake bites would be a snake. The last thing you and I would think about how God would save us from death would be a man dying on the cross. And the last place you think God is right now is in your suffering, but that's exactly where he wants to be found. Why? To beat that false idol out of you so that you can actually then enjoy this freedom that has been given to you so that you cannot make yourself this God. Right? So we don't do very well with freedom, do we? And I bet you, all of you, especially um, um, in college, you put unnecessary pressures on yourself and goals on yourself. You put yourself under laws when you're free, when you're free. And you're going to do it your whole life because you are bound sinners. But do remember that you're also baptized believers and that you are free. And so there's times when it's going to be quite nice for you to throw off the shackles of a law that you placed on yourself. Oh, and please be very careful that you don't throw laws on other people either. God will finally get you. He's going to curse you with honesty. An honesty about yourself so you have nowhere to go but to him. Don't throw that law on somebody else because you may just hit an honest person. Be very careful with the law. But be gospel. Be about freedom. Um, we're kind of at our time for questions right now unless you guys had uh, some last words there. Wait. No, I was going to start talking about the uh, Ricky Bobby Gray scene from Talladega Nights, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. So, um, Rev Shev, um, I would maybe you... just clarify 
We're not saying the law is bad. Nope. Right? The law is the best thing we have here outside the gospel. Um, we're saying we badly use the law mm-hmm. when we look to it for what it can't give. You're being very careful today with your antinomian. I get sick of being called an antinomian. All right. So Rev Shev, we have time for questions. We'll stay here for a little bit longer. Uh, You know, feel free if you need to go. But um, if you have a question or a comment, you get a free shirt. You have to come up and get the shirt that fits you. I don't know how many different sizes we have up there, but they're there for anybody who wants to participate. So, um, but it has to be something... Decent, no animal fight stuff, please. Okay, I so was Rev Shev's covered bring, in the episode, which yeah. would cover animal fights as well. Yeah, so. He's going to bring the microphone to anybody who has a comment or a question. No one wants our shirts. It's too bad. One of the things that we do with the law is we um, we abuse it on both sides. And Luther talks about the drunken horseman who gets on one side, or falls off one side, gets back on, falls off the other side. And we do this constantly. And that's kind of what we've been dancing around a little bit in different ways tonight. And um, you know, this is, if you go back to in the kind of the Lutheran formulation of this, the simul justus et peccator, we're both sinner and saint at the same time. And that struggle, is an ongoing struggle. And this one speaks to the human condition in, I, I think, just the most profound way. Because what we want to find, what we, what we really want is uh, someone to come to us and say, hey, I've got it. I've got the formula to make your life great and wonderful, and you're going to be happy forever. And there might be a formula that makes you happy, but it won't be forever. It's not going to last, and it's going to, it's going to drag on. It's going to pull, pull out, and we're going to find ourselves pulled back into the same muck and mire that we were in before. And we have to understand that and recognize that, and that struggle is going to be ongoing. So the law is both a blessing and a curse. It's a curse because it reminds us of you know, what we deserve and who we are, and it's a blessing because of, uh, through the grace of, of, uh, that's provided by Jesus Christ, we're freed to actually live this law for one another. So, see a question over there? Um, I have a comment. Um, Dr. Johnston, I was in your class earlier when you talked about the uh, first commandment earlier. I just so want to shout out. about it in the class. Okay, you did. Paul and Epistles. Bad, but. Yeah. But I have to do a question for Dr. Berg. Um, how long did it take you to perfect your radio voice? <laughs> um, of course, as you all know, when you hear your own voice, you're like, oh, that's terrible. Um, it just came to me as natural. You know, who has the best voice, of course, as you know, it's Dr. Dr. Palmer. Brown. Dr. <laughs> I think, I Dr. think it's Palmer. Palmer. Okay, it's Palmer, but, <laughs> but for you guys, I mean, you've heard Dr. Brown preach enough. I mean, he's such a great speaker. Here's the, here's the secret about him. He thinks he sounds terrible. About once a month, he comes up to me and is like, man, you just have such a good voice. <laughs> it's a little awkward, but I get what he's saying. I don't think it's that great, but thank you. Another question? I'll jump back to the struggles of college students. You guys talked about that and finding our finding God in those struggles. What advice do you give to college students as we daily face those struggles that it seems like day after day we can't get away from them? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing or the first thing to remember is... First of all, you so Wade made it, you can make it. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, you know, one of the... One of the worst things to happen to Christianity was America. And uh, because we, we, we oftentimes can make our Christianity very American. And uh, what is America about? It's about progress, getting things done, appearances. And so the American church in many ways has sometimes given people the sense 
The church is where you go to get transformed and you're going to have measurable progress always and there's going to be principles to get you there. And that's just not what Paul says in Romans 7 when it is a very dangerous lie of the devil when we start to think that struggle is a sign of lack of faith. Struggle is a sign of faith. Faith is at work in the struggle, right? It's, faith is the only reason that's making there a struggle. And so we sometimes look at that and we say, see, I must have no faith that I'm struggling with. No, you wouldn't be struggling if you didn't have faith. And maybe your neighbor's not struggling. The devil doesn't have to work on the one he already has. Um, and so my first um, encouragement to someone who is frustrated with struggling with sin and, and not winning as often as they would like is fight on, you know. God is at work through you. Um, this is the cross. When we talk about we have Christ's cross, but also the cross we bear, um, this is when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. We are baptized into a struggle, and that, uh, that is why we need word and sacrament to be reminded that we are a child of God in spite of our struggles, um, some of them again and again the same ones. Uh, and not to go back to addiction all the time, but this is where some of the, the best Christians I ever served struggled with addiction. And they were reminded again and again of their constant need um, for grace. We sometimes view it as, I'm going to grow in my Christian life and I'm going to grow in my sanctification and I'm going to need Jesus less and less and less. That is the opposite of what the Bible says about sanctification and the baptismal life. True Christian growth is I recognize my need for God, for Christ, more and more and more and more. And how do I recognize that? Sometimes through the cross working, or as Paul says, the, his thorn in the flesh, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you in weakness. Um, so, yeah, someone who came to me with that, with that concern, I would say as a called servant of Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and and you're a baptized child of God, and um, for as much as you feel like the devil in your flesh are at work, Christ is at work too. And, and the worst thing we could do in that moment is to lose sight of Christ and, and, and turn to ourselves and think, okay, I gotta beat this. Um, the only way that's gonna happen is, is with Christ. And, and if we wanna be sinless, that's on the other side of a casket, and none of us should be in any hurry to get there. Um, you know, the, this life will be will be struggled. Yeah, so Wade, you blame the, you, you say, you know, America is one of the worst things that happened to Christianity, and I, I would actually step back a little bit farther and thinking of it in terms of the philosophical That in America and orange carpeting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I won't touch that one. If you step back a little bit farther, you see in, in philosophical movements, you see in the Middle Ages, roughly this kind of idea of the, um, like the cyclical, um, things are are going in a cycle and they keep coming back. We get to the modern era and um, we start taking up this idea that things are linear and progressive. They're getting better. So, you know, if you have the, I don't even know, what's iPhone on now? Is it the 10? Is that the... 10s or whatever. If you have the iPhone yeah. 5, you're way behind, right? You've got to keep moving forward. Everything's getting better. It's not getting worse. Of course, it's getting better. Why would we release it? And so you've got the the 10. No, I got the five. Oh, the five still yeah, okay. locked in. Does that still work? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but this this idea is it's so permeated our our um, culture and our our consciousness. You know who we are, how we see the world that we can't. It's really very extremely difficult to get away from this. And so when we start talking about ourselves and what you know where we are and the struggles that we have we get and this is what I was getting at with the um, 
with the self-help gurus, right? We, we get this idea that, well, if I can just get past this, we can't, that's, that's a fool's errand. I mean, in some ways, that's, that's right where the devil wants you to go, right? Yeah, if you can just get past this. In fact, I hope you do really well for a couple of months because then you'll fall even farther down and you'll really, be, you'll really be depressed about it. We have to understand that like, this is always kind of pointing us back to, to what God does for us. And that's the only way that we're going to find any comfort this side of the grave. As, uh, wait, I'm going to try to actually answer the, unless you got something that... Go ahead. All right, I, I would say to the... He was going to say something about game moves. Nope, it was a serious point, but uh, it's gone now. Okay. Um, for for the the students struggling, I would say one thing is actually stop forget about stop thinking about your grades. Wade and I, I think, routinely tell our students we don't give a flying flip about your grades. Um, we don't. I mean, I literally, I literally do not care what you get. Um, um, I'm not going to judge you by that. Grading is a law thing. And once you stop caring about your grades for the sake of grades, I bet you work harder. Because now you're here to learn and not, you're not driven by law. You're lost in the actual thing of being a student, and that's your vocation right now. Um, and so that unburdening yourself with that, I would also say probably one of the biggest burdens you feel is maybe you're not, you're not going to make it, you're not as talented or whatever. And to lose that attitude, too, that God has already prepared in advance good works for you to accomplish. I don't know if it's, if it's going to be in your field or if it's going to be somewhere else. I don't know and you don't know, but don't worry about it because God knows. And so don't worry about any of those, putting yourself underneath those laws again. And I think Wade's right about kind of grinding it out a little bit, too. Um, and, not, and Peter's right, too, not about this, this idea of progress. Nothing beats passion and hard work. And you can be passionate and you can work hard about anything. Um, but first, you need to be freed in Jesus Christ from all these laws that you're putting yourself under. All right. I think we got Ella. That's uh, as far as grades, ahead. I just remind everybody, we have, as a country, we have given the nuclear codes to very few A students. <laughs> um, <laughs> look at the academic records of the people we elect in a... You are, so, not, you are not looking at straight A students right, up here exactly. either, that so is for sure. So your future can be bright. With <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so this is going to be the last formal question. They're, I assume they will stick around, have some, uh, have some uh, side conversations, but here's the last question. So earlier you were talking about like what it means to be happy and all that. So I was just wondering if you could kind of like talk more about small concrete steps on how to be happy and how to like lose yourself in service to your neighbor. Stop asking yourself the question if you're happy or not would be job number one. Also redefine what happiness is. Happiness is not, uh, it's not really the way we, when we think about happy in the ancient world or when we get words like um, we have the, uh, the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That word happiness is different than what we think happiness is today. Happiness today is a personal euphoria. And I don't think that you're ever going to find it if you're looking for it. Like, I didn't, I didn't decide, I want to have children so that one day I can be happy. It was something much deeper than that. Um, happy really is, uh, it goes back to what we would call uh, flourishing and um, 
so when our American forefathers talked about the pursuit of happiness, they really meant the pursuit of flourishing. And what they specifically meant was engaging in civic, civic life, um, getting an education, participating in a family, um, lose yourself in the task at hand, I think would be the best way to talk about it that way. Um, and so right now you're a student, lose yourself in being a student. Someday you're gonna find yourself at a specific job. Stop, lose yourself in that. Throw yourself into um, all of these different things that you've been called to be. And um, watch God um, flourish you, but you're never gonna stop and say, oh, I'm happy. You're never gonna stop and say, oh, I grew today. You always do that by looking back. It's not like, um, a little boy who, whose mother puts a, a, you know, a pencil on top of his head on the doorframe to see his growth. He doesn't sit there and go, Mom, I think I'm growing right now. You look back and you see growth. And so the first part is just don't worry about it. Throw yourself into whatever is present at the moment. And then you'll look back and you're like, that was really cool. That was really great. That was wonderful. Um, and uh, I, I think John Stuart Mill's right. You can never force yourself to be happy. You only look back and you say, that was good. That was good. And know that God in advance has already prepared those moments for you. Yeah, I, and I think just to go back to the first commandment, if we, you know, the Lord says, fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Well, we, we fear God not to fear everything else. And I think part of what, can rob us of joy or happiness. And, and keep in mind, you already are happy, you just don't know it, right? Happy are the people the Lord has chosen. Um, you are blessed, you are. Um, but uh, we get so afraid of not getting happiness or of losing happiness in something. Um, and I think that's what keeps us from throwing ourselves into something, as Mike is hitting on, is, is we, you're, we fear everything because we don't fear the right thing. Um, and that can be you don't pursue the major you want to pursue because you're afraid you won't get the job or you don't pursue the avocational hobby you have because you're afraid of you won't be good at it. And that's where when you put your fear in the right place, and that's not a fear like, oh, God's going to strike me with lightning, um, but a reverent fear, then that sets you free from fear um, of all the wrong things. I think, uh, Peter, you told him what we're supposed to do at the end, and I know we're supposed to wrap up, so I'm going to let you figure out how you want to do that. Well, <laughs> that's what Mike was just telling me to do. First of all, just to, um, I don't know if we said this at the beginning, but we are a member of the 1517 Podcast Network. If you want to see other podcasts, check them out at 1517.org slash podcasts. Um, we also you can see our webpage at letthebirdfly.com. We have daily devotions, roughly. They've been daily we make no promises, but they have been recently. So check that out. You can sign up and get them in your email inbox. And uh, if you l listen to our, our podcast and you like it or you're just okay with it, you know, give rating, reviewing on uh, iTunes really helps us out. So we appreciate that. Even negative ratings help, as I, t as Even, I tell yeah. Wade. Ben keeps so getting upset. He's the only guy who complains. <laughs> like, oh, we've got five stars. That's too high. No one it looks, will it looks it. fake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, that's literally what he said. So, um, yeah, so thanks, everyone, for coming. Thanks for having us. And, um, you know, as we go out into the world and find our vocations, our vocations that are ever-changing, that God places in front of us, what's the one thing that we can do? Let the bird fly! Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, 
getting my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk. I'm just a drinker. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. I set him up another round. One more round won't get me down. I don't care what